Well, we're going to uh, jump into the scripture right now. Um, For the last five weeks, concluding today, we've been in a conversation about creativity. Um, We began by exploring our creativity and then expanding it and then talking about barriers that, that get in the way. And then last week we talked about how God cultivates in this, even in this broken world, he cultivates our creativity. He, he cultivates us into the work of art that he created us all to be. Today we're going to finish this up by talking about the word thrive. Thrive, the definition is to grow vigorously. Thrive isn't just to grow, but thrive is something that grows vigorously. Some synonyms, flourish, prosper, bloom, blossom, advance. And that is a word that captures exactly what God's intention for you, from the very beginning of you, has always been. He created you to thrive vigorously. Now, we've learned a couple different times in the scriptures we've been looking at here that way back in eternity past, long before God created the universe, well, God was there. He is a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What what we're saying there is that the nature of God is awesome. It's beyond what we can really comprehend. He is one God who somehow in his infinite essence exists as three persons. One God, three persons. But that's the the amazing thing. That's why the scripture says God is love. Because he's a God whose very nature is rooted in relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love. Now, and at some point, way back in eternity, rising up in his own creative imagination came that first thought, that first vision of you with your own unique personality, your gifts, your aptitudes, and the purpose he had for you. And this was long before you were conceived and born into this world. The Apostle Paul talks about this in his letter to the Christians in the city of Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, Even before he made the world, God loved us. From God's very first thought of you, imagine this, from his very first thought of you, with all of his, own, with all of his in, infinite capacity of heart to love, all of that love was set upon you. Wow. And the next phrase says that at that very same moment in eternity past, he made a choice about us. He chose us in Christ, which means that from the very moment all of us were created, or all of us were envisioned in God's mind, there was a special role that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would play in every one of our lives. And Paul explains what that is in the next phrase. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. In other words, To be be a person reflecting God's own image, character, and creativity through 
Each of our own unique personalities, creativity, and gifts. Jesus Christ would be the one connected to. He was the one committed to make sure that happens from, from eternity past. But you know, at that moment, God also knew that for human beings to become those glorious beings, that he would have to grant them freedom to choose their destiny. Freedom to choose that destiny. Because God could not make them puppets on a string. Because there's no creativity at all except in the, the one who holds the strings, right? But a puppet itself, like Pinocchio, you know? There's no creativity in Pinocchio himself, or in us. It's the one who, there would have been, uh, creativity requires freedom. God also foresaw at that moment that there would be an abuse of that freedom and that human beings would turn away from him. So you might ask this question. Well, then why didn't God way back there, why didn't he just erase all thoughts of us from his mind and scrap the whole creation idea? Why didn't he do that? Well, Paul has already told us here. It says, at that moment before creation, when he first thought of us, God loved us. God loved us. If God would have scrapped the whole idea, then what that means is God would have allowed the potential of evil to overrule and overcome his desire for great good, to spread his goodness and his love throughout all creation. And, you know, evil became a reality, didn't, didn't it? But you know what? There's a greater reality than evil. It's the reality of the good. And God did not let evil hold good hostage. He went ahead and gave us freedom to choose the good. Now, this is why, from the very beginning of you and me, God made a choice about us that's connected to Jesus Christ. First, the Apostle Peter states it in 1 Peter 1.20. This is what he says. He says, God chose Christ as your ransom. That is, the price to be paid for the forgiveness of your sins. When did, he, when, when did that happen? Long before the world began. God knew the moment that he created us that we were going to need a Savior to redeem us. God foresaw that the world was going to fall into darkness and evil. And this is what Paul goes on to describe in the second chapter of Ephesians. In the first few verses of that chapter, he tells how evil came into our hearts and into our world to destroy us. And how that original person that God envisioned us to be had become dead in trespasses and sins, buried. But then Paul goes on to, to say in the greatest paragraph, I think, that has ever been written in the history of literature, in the history of the world, I don't think there's any paragraph that is so sublime and so full of meaning as what I'm going to read for you right now. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This is what it says. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. There's that connection with Christ. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages 
as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us can earn our salvation. And then listen to verse number 10. I like this one. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do those good things he planned for us long ago before the creation of the world. That's a wonderful plan. And what, what the Apostle Paul wants us to see here, what God the Father wants us to see is that from the very first moment God envisioned you, Jesus Christ, his eternal son, committed himself to you to be your savior who would come into this world and no matter what the damage done to your life by the evil of this world or the injustices or the trauma that you've experienced or the losses that you've gone through or the issues of your life, no matter what those things are, Jesus Christ, from the beginning of creation, from the first thoughts of you, he loved you. He committed himself to you for eternity. And he came into this world that was broken and you were broken. And he came to lift your life up by the same power that brought him up, that raised him from the dead. Easter is not only a celebration of Jesus' resurrection, it's the celebration of the resurrection from deadness of all who put their faith in him. So this hope, this image of you that God had at the very beginning, it has not been lost. It's there if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And he will, in, in his commitment to you, he will keep working in your life, right now, beginning in your life through this life and in the age to come. And you will stand in the age to come, fully conformed to what God originally envisioned when he thought about you. That's a great future. Sometimes we get lost in our past. Sometimes we get stuck and buried by the things that have happened to us in our past. We, get, we all get injured in this world. Sometimes the injuries go so deep, they just, they leave us empty and devastated. They leave us numb. But Jesus committed himself to you. And he came into this world. And you know what the scripture says, Paul said in the book of Romans? He said, where sin and evil go deep, there's something that goes deeper. Grace goes even deeper. The grace and power and love of Jesus Christ to restore your life goes deeper than any injury that you have received at the hands of another human being that you have received at the, uh, at, uh, from the intersection of circumstances in your life? That's his commitment to you. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what? In chapter 3, after talking about this, Paul, he says this in verse number 14. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees, and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, and then he prays a prayer for you and me. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep, 
is the love of God. And then he continues, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. There it is. You will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Not all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might even ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And can you guys say amen to that? That's a prayer that was prayed by the Apostle Paul for you. And the Holy Spirit put it in his heart to pray that prayer for you. This is God's plan for you. Then in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul discusses all those gifts that, from the, that God put in your life from the very moment he thought of you. In chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And there's other texts that talk about more than one gift, but there's usually one primary gifting or uh, strength that God contributes to us all, and it's different from person to person. That's the beauty of it. We're not all the same. He never made two people exactly the same. Gifts, creativity, it's all different. And then in the rest of chapters 4 and 5, he talks about how the Lord is here with us, no matter the effects, the wounds, the pain, the circumstances of our broken, evil world. He's here to help us grow vigorously and thrive into the maturity he has for us as people. This is how Paul says it in, in verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, this growth will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard, the full and complete measure of Christ himself. Then Paul comes to chapter 6. So I'm sort of giving you guys a quick overview of the book of Ephesians here this morning. Uh, he comes to chapter 6, verse number 10. And then he says, I have a final word for you. And you know what? Final words are usually really, really important. This is Paul's final word to everything he's said so far. He switches his terminology to say that this recreation of your life through the power of Christ takes place on a planet that, where there is a spiritual war raging and with a spiritual enemy that is out to destroy you. So it's not going to be easy, this, this growing in Christ, this walking with Christ, it's not an easy path. It can be pretty tough. So it calls for faith. But let's take a look at this final word. This is what Paul says. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11 and 12. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting. And the word he uses there for fighting can be translated wrestling or hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's fierce, fierce combat. He says that's what's going on. If you're a follower of Christ, and especially if you are a serious follower of Christ. Now, if you're a follower of Christ and you're sort of hiding from the battle, you're, you've walked off the battlefield or you've, you're uh, sitting off on the sidelines somewhere, 
then you may, it may not be quite as ferocious of a battle for you. But if you're a serious follower of Christ on the front lines, it's hand-to-hand combat. With who? Again, we, it's not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, the spiritual world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against spirits in the heavenly places, the spiritual realm. You know, one of the great blindnesses of modern time is a materialist view of reality. That the only reality that exists is what is physical and experience, experienceable by the five senses. Anything outside of that, it's just superstition, it, it's myth, it doesn't exist. But you know what? If that is, that's a very, very narrow, very, very narrow definition of reality. And it's a very, very diminishing view of human beings and their significance because if that's all there is, then everything we've spent the first 15 or 20 minutes in this sermon talking about how great and glorious and and all those things that, how God created you, all that is absolutely meaningless. We're here, we die, and boom, that's it. And there was nothing, no real significance to it. If that's what reality is. And you know, if that's the view of reality, it also leaves us, if that's what we think reality is, that leaves us wide open to the terrorists that Jesus and Paul are speaking to us about. Now, Jesus is the authority on that personality that we call Satan. Now, in the last two centuries or so, we have so fantasized and fictionalized this image of Satan and demonic evil spirits that we have ruled them out of reality. But I'll tell you what, I rest my case about the reality of Satan and the demonic spirits spirits that he commands. I rest my case with Jesus because he was the authority on this issue. And, uh, And Jesus taught us that the reality that we live in is much larger than a narrow slice of physical reality. There is very much so a spiritual reality. God is the creator of that reality. He made us in his image to be creative and to blossom and flourish. But Satan is a decreator. He is possessed with the passion to undo and destroy all that God has created, especially humanity created in God's image and likeness. Satan was once a great angelic being. Quick history. Once a great angelic being. He turned against God. And he led a rebellion of angels that the book of Jude says this, angels who left their original position and authority. So whenever you read that term term demon or evil spirit in the scripture, it's not talking about these crazy Halloween costumes. Okay, no, that's, that's not a... It's talking about personalities that Paul says are... part of that unseen spiritual world. They are the true terrorist organization. You know, on Friday, ISIS struck the city that in our world is most known for human creativity, the city of lights, Paris. And over the past few months, wherever ISIS expands its its conquest, one of the first things it does, it goes into some of the most ancient cities of the world that is conquered, and it goes in there and pulverizes, destroys, dismantles some of the greatest works of antiquity. 
And they are gone. They are irretrievable. They are irreplaceable. They're gone forever. They are, ISIS, they are decreators. And this is what Satan is doing to the lives of people across our planet. To destroy them, and his, in his mind, just like ISIS, is to destroy human beings beyond being retrieved. Now, in the closing moments of my message this morning, I want to lay out a challenge to the church. Not just our church, but this is a challenge to the church everywhere, to Christians. Our world right now is trying to defend itself against organizations like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and we could name some others. Here in our nation so far, a good job of defending ourselves since 9-11 from all of these attacks. There have been many attacks thwarted, many more than I'm sure we are aware of. And thank God for that. And I want to follow up to Veterans Day here today and say thank God for the military might that our nation has, that has a big part of that protection. And the committed men and women in uniform who give themselves to protecting and fighting and some who have laid down their lives to preserve our safety and our freedoms. But at the same time, we have defended ourselves pretty well so far against these terrorist organizations. We as a nation have opened wide the gates to the most deadly and evil terrorist organization of all. And I'm talking here about Satan and the forces that he commands. We have put up the best defenses we could against ISIS and Al-Qaeda, but we have been tearing down our spiritual barriers, our spiritual defenses, our moral boundaries. We've been, we've been dismantle, dismantling those. We have extended an invitation as a nation to Satan to just come on in. Here's the challenge to the church in America. If the church in America does not rise up soon, we could very well lose our country as we know it. We must never take our freedoms for granted. We could lose those freedoms. There is no nation in the history of the world that ever lost its freedoms that expected it to happen. They were all caught totally off guard. They were shocked when the fall came. There is a spiritual enemy that is already inside our gates more deadly than the ISIS cells and the Al-Qaeda cells that are probably here too. Our military cannot fight this battle. There's only one group of people that can fight the spiritual, the spiritual war, the spiritual enemy, and that is the church. By taking up the spiritual weapons that God has given us to deal with the threat. The second challenge I want to state is this. If the church doesn't rise up soon, we're going to lose our youth. I am deeply concerned. I'm deeply concerned about the next generation, about our kids, our young people. Satan targets children. In Satan's mind, the younger the better. The, younger, the earlier I can inflict wounds, the greater opportunity I have to destroy that person's life beyond ever being retrieved. 
And he also knows that the quickest way to destroy the faith in a parent's heart is to attack their kids, to lead their kids astray from the faith. But what the devil doesn't count on is that this very tactic may also be the fastest way to rouse up the church, its parents, all of its people who care about our youth, to rouse up the army of God, to pick up the spiritual weapons of warfare that God has given us to defeat the enemy. Now, there may be some of you sitting here today saying, you know what? The loved one, the loved, ones I, the loved one I deeply care about, maybe it's a, a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a child. Well, they're already, they're already straying. They're already walking away from God. You know what sometimes happens to parents when that happens? They release their faith. They, 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 they get shocked and they, they give up their faith. They sort of go into a, a despair zone. Like it's over. The battle's over. Uh, hey, I'm here to tell you this morning. If, that's, if you have a loved one straying, and I, I doubt there's any family in here that doesn't have someone who's straying away from God and looks like their life is lost. You know what? They're not irretrievably lost. I'll tell you what is the case, though. They are being held captive by the prince of darkness. They're held in captivity and blindness. So my word to you is, Christian Christians, let's not get disillusioned about this and drop our weapons like the, the game's over, the battle's over. This is the time to pick up those weapons and to become God's special ops, God's special forces. If you have a loved one that's lost, go get them. Go after them. Let's see how the power of Christ can win them from their blindness, heal them, bring them back to himself. And let this great work of art that their life was created to be, let that get back on track. That means that standing between loved ones that we care about and, the, and this glorious image that God has for them to become, you and I stand in the gap. We are strategically placed. And that's why Paul is saying, yes, it's hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is a fierce battle. But stay in the battle. Do not give up. The mission Jesus gave us is this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to the destitute. And then he says, uh, to, set, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to heal the blinded eyes, to bind up the brokenhearted and the wounded, and to set the prisoners free. And you know what? Jesus has given us that mission. How many of you believers this morning, you're still on the mission? You're still in the battle? Are the weapons still in your hand? And I'm talking to myself as much as anybody else in here. What are those weapons? And I'm going to say, I can't, can't talk about it. I'm just going to read for you the passage that uh, Paul gives us that describes these weapons. And you'll have to look at this more when you get home. But Paul says it this way. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body of armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, the arrows of discouragement and despair. Put on the salvation as your helmet 
And then, I like this one, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Wield this book. You wield it by getting it into your soul, into your heart, letting it saturate and fill your mind. Wield this Word. Don't give up on it. Hang on to it. Use it. And then he ends by saying another offensive weapon. He says this, and pray in the Spirit at all times and every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. How long? Two days? Stay persistent for two days? No, stay persistent for 20 years. Stay persistent till the day Jesus comes again. That's when the battle ends. So the call to every church, to every Christian, there is, God is calling us to the front lines with armor on, weapons in hand. It is not time to go AWOL. It is a time for Christians to have faith and courage to dig in, to be a reflection of Christ, His grace and truth in this culture to our youth, to our kids. They have no other hope. To all of humanity who Satan is seeking to decreate, but Jesus came into the world to recreate in the image and likeness of God. The pressure of the spiritual battle is great. We have two choices as Christians. To go into despair, give up, go hide, wait out the battle till heaven comes and gets us out of here. Or, out of love for humanity, we can pick up the weapons and get to the front lines. Now, my final statement. As I prepared this message, here was my prayer to the Lord. And I I believe it would be your prayer too. Lord, I want to go out with your sword of the Spirit in my hand. I want to go out of this world wielding that sword and with prayer in my lips. I want to take that sword and I want Satan's blood to be upon it. I want to be a spiritual warrior for Jesus Christ, for the salvation of my family, this church family, for this community, for this next generation, for our nation, for the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you, Father, for truth that you created us, Lord, with such love and and in such a unique way. So, Lord, I pray that every person in this room will be encouraged to take hold of your promise that you are living within, that you are there to help them become that glorious being that God created them to be, that God thought of them to be. Heavenly Father, we know it's going to happen inside of a very embattled world with scars and wounds and fierce hand-to-hand combat with an enemy that is very powerful. So Lord, help us, ourselves, to be growing in you. And then Lord, help us to take Paul's admonition to heart about being spiritual warriors who battle in love, love for people and faith in Christ. Help us to wield the sword. Help us to be fully armored for this battle. And Lord, may, may we pray for loved ones today that our strength, God, touch their lives. Draw them to yourself. Help us to reach our world. Give us your love and grace. And we pray all these things in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.